so I'll just begin with a brief correction. Um, Abraham Heschel was one of the greatest minds of his generation. He was one of the greatest theological minds of the last four. As far as I know, he never composed music. Um, that was that was Tony Aubin um, just now. He may have composed music, but if he did, it was probably not published. I really puzzled about what to say this week. Um, and, and so in the end, I, I thought I would just be honest about what that struggle is. It feels strange to come up here every week and wonder about whether or not I should preach about whatever tragedy has happened in the week. You know, when I was in seminary, this was, this was only five years ago, they said when you're preaching every week, most weeks you'll know what to say, and, and every once in a while, once a year, there'll be some event where you just drop everything and rewrite the sermon on Saturday night. And you'll know when those happen. And right now it feels like one of those happen every week. There, yes. So I don't know where the line is right now. I, I'll be honest about that. Feels like every week there's some huge news story that needs to be addressed, or else we've failed as our duty as a religious community, and I've failed as my duty as a person who gets up and speaks in public once a week. But that can't be every week. So I'll just say this, my heart is breaking this week for folks affected by the violence in Las Vegas, both directly and in all the, the ripples of trauma that come out from an event like this. My family years ago lost uh, a dear friend in one of the, the lesser known mass shootings at the Binghamton, New York Civic Center. And I'll just say now, as I've said every time since then, that thoughts and prayers are insufficient. Violence is a sickness, sure, sure. People who are set on committing acts of violence will commit acts of violence, but the tools that are available matter. The ease of access and lack of regulation of guns that can shoot a thousand bullets in a matter of minutes is unconscionable. We can talk about gun control as a, as a legal issue, but it is also a public health issue, and it is also a moral issue. So I'll leave that here for now, I, except to say that we're talking about courage this month. And last week I got up and I, I preached a sermon about folks who have the courage of their convictions, the courage to act in the world even knowing that the world may not change. Who tilt at windmills trying to disarm nuclear weapons with hammers. Despite the easy cynicism that says that's just the way things are, they'll never change. It's easy to be cynical 
about mass shootings. It's hard to see how things will change. But I want to believe that we have courage. We have the courage collectively as a society to imagine a world where we don't have to talk about this, where we don't have to wonder whether or not this week's sermon is about a holiday of beauty and celebration or about another tragedy. So that's what I'll say about that. This week, I traveled to Hiawatha, Iowa, for the fall retreat of the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association. The UUMA still uses the, the old names within our association, so I spent the week in the company of the ministers of the Prairie Star chapter. Prairie Star, incidentally, is a much more evocative name than Metro New York or Mid-America. <laughs> But uh, in the time I was, I was traveling to and from Iowa, I saw something that I haven't experienced much in Metro New York, corn. <laughs> Specifically, corn at harvest time, Route 80 through Iowa, is a, a surprisingly beautiful drive. It's through rolling hills. Uh, Fritz Hudson was on the drive back with me. I, I said, I can't believe Iowa is so hilly. I thought it was flat. He said, the rest of the state is. <laughs> it's just the little corridor <laughs> that follows the interstate that's beautiful. So on this particular drive, we saw combines highlighted against the horizon. Because this is the week of the harvest. Half the fields we passed had already been harvested. Half were about to be. Harvest is the, the first and most basic of festivals. It's second only to memorial services in its universality and importance in traditions around the country. Our largest civic um, holiday in this country is Thanksgiving, although late November is an interesting choice of timing for the harvest. Late November in Massachusetts is cold. It is not the harvest. This week is the festival of Sukkot in the Jewish tradition. Sukkot's an ancient harvest festival. The book of Leviticus describes it this way. Now on the 15th day of the seven month, seventh month, when you have gathered in, the, gathered in the produce of the land, you shall keep the festival of the Lord, lasting seven days, a complete rest on the first day, a complete rest on the eighth day, on the first day, you shall take the fruit of majestic trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall keep it as a festival seven days in the year. You shall keep it in the seventh month as a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall live in booths for seven days. All that are citizens in Israel shall live in booths so that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. And the rhythms of the festival haven't changed much. 
in 3,000 years. On, on Sukkot is traditional to build and eat and sometimes sleep in sukkahs, in booths or tabernacles, depending on the translation, tents, three sides and a roof. This represents both the, the tents of Israel fleeing bondage in Egypt, but probably also the temporary tents used at harvest time in the fields. It is also a time to say a blessing over the four distinctive species <laughs> of the holiday that are here represented by a plushy toy. <laughs> this is not the traditional um, four species. <laughs> this was really fun to find this week, by the way. But a date palm branch, the lulav, boughs of myrtle and willow, and an esrog. Um, which is not unlike a lemon, but it is a fruit of the majestic tree in Israel. These are used as representatives of the harvest and also to bless the space that we join in on this holiday. A tent makes an interesting place to worship. I've celebrated in sukkahs before and in some ways, they can resemble nothing so much as a tailgating tent. Four sides, aluminum poles, fabric or plastic sides. While there is a tradition of decorating your family's tent, they are unmistakably a temporary creation. At the end of the holiday, the tents are taken down for the year. The traditional four species are not kept from year to year, although the plushie might be. Google is full of things to do with them after the holiday has passed. Apparently, esrog and cloves make a wonderful scent. This is much different from how we usually think of holidays and religious observances. Holidays are times of stability, usually. We build churches to come together on Sunday. For me, Christmas is often about the stability of family, of choice or of birth, the homes that we build together. Sukkot is different. It asks us to worship in temporary, ad hoc places. Abraham Heschel, the, the great rabbinic teacher of the 20th century, writes that this is a uniquely Jewish way of celebrating. He often described the Sabbath as a cathedral in time. Rather than places, Jewish holidays tend to celebrate moments the harvest on the 15th day of the seventh month, the day the story of the Exodus is told, passed down from generation to generation, the seventh day of every week. These are moments of time, not places. And many of the holiest observances on the calendar happen not in some central location, but wherever we find ourselves intense around a dinner table with family. This is a response of courage, I believe. Heschel observes that one of the reasons for this emphasis on time is that a day cannot be taken away. For the last 2,000 years, Judaism has existed after the, temp the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. 
what has been, had been the ritual heart of the faith is no more. And over those 2,000 years of dyspora, the, the faith by necessity has had to value those things that cannot be taken away. The temple is no more, but we will worship. We have been ejected from Spain, still we will worship. I've walked through the streets of Krakow in Poland, 20 miles from Auschwitz. There are empty synagogues still. The Spanish kings could take away land and money, the Nazis could take lives, but they cannot take away a day on the calendar. That is a cathedral that can never be torn down. Heschel was one of the great theologians of his generation, and he makes this, this fascinating point about Genesis. In the creation story, things are named over and over again as good. God creates the heaven and the earth, he calls it good. God creates the fish and the plants and the animals, he calls them good. He creates humanity, woman and man, he calls them good. And then he names the seventh day, and that is holy. Things are not holy in the tradition, but time may be. There's a story in Exodus about the building of a tabernacle, a tent where God was present during Israel's flight from Egypt. But what is important is that the tabernacle itself is not a holy object. And in fact, it's only built after it becomes clear that the people of Israel need some physical thing to anchor their, their lives. So the people build a tent for God to live in. But even that is a temporary, transitory thing. Like all of Israel during the Exodus, God lives in a tent traveling through the wilderness. And in between time, Sukkot, the days of awe which mark the beginning of a new year have just happened. Simchat Torah, which marks the beginning of a yearly cycle of readings, happens after Sukkot. But in between those two markers of the end and beginning of a year is a week to celebrate the harvest, a time to go out and worship in temporary spaces, recognizing the beauty that grows from trees, grows out of the earth, majestic willows and palms. It is easy to abstract ourselves out of time these days. Fall is beginning, absolutely. But on this phone, I have a button that changes the temperature in my house. I can, I can set it right now. I can go home, and it can be whatever season I want it to be. <laughs> and food, the food we eat at Thanksgiving is not accidental. Squash keeps for a long time. The harvest is the last time fresh fruit is available for months, unless we walk into a high beat. <laughs> In 2017, it can be really easy to ignore the changing of the seasons, to get caught up in our day-to-day -day life and wake up in January and say, God, I got cold. How did that happen? It's so easy to get caught up. 
the news that we, or at least I, watch with a mix of fascination and horror, easy to get so focused on the list of things that we need to do that we lose track of the times that we are in now. So this week, I want you to really notice the change of the seasons. Maybe you'll notice the combines out in the cornfields. Notice the new chill in the air. Some of the trees out here have begun to turn. Whatever it is, just be in that moment. Feel, really feel the turning of the seasons. Be in that moment and let all the other stuff drop away. Just for a moment, it will be there when you pick it up again. The summer is passing. Winter is not yet here. Eat something that has just been harvested. Be in this moment and celebrate it. Places come and go, but moments in time, those might be holy. Amen. And now...